Welcome back to another edition of the We Going In podcast. This week we're joined by the one and only Wordsworth. Words has been a long time, man, since we've done our last interview. Probably since that first EMC album, man. So it's always good to catch up with you, man. How have you been? I'm great, man. Yeah, that's a long time right there, man. That's a... Wow, that may be about six, six or seven albums ago. Yeah, we've been we've been sleeping on you over here, man. Yeah, I just been trying to stay busy putting out putting out projects, and uh, you know that's been that's been pretty cool. Just trying to just put stuff out, people were checking out, and appreciating it. And I think it's kind of like been building up the momentum, you know. So it's been good. Yeah, and you know, I've been I've been checking everything out. Every time you drop something, I check it out. I listen to it, whether it's Spotify or online, whatever. I always find a way to hear it. But really, um, I kind of fell back from doing interviews too. Just just getting busy with some book projects and and school and everything. You know, you know that story. So um, it's good to actually finally catch up, man, because we got so much to talk about here. You know, for, first off, you know, I think. Just looking at what you're doing now, um, as a teacher, before we really get into the album, you know, you got the kids right now. We have even more tumultuous times in, in our society right now than you know we could have ever predicted. I think, um, you know, with with what just happened with the white supremacist rally in my hometown of Charlottesville, you know, how do you yeah. how do you do that, man? Like, how do you talk about that with with your students? Well, as a recent. You know, I haven't had the kids ask yet. You know, I just, today's uh, Tuesday, if I'm correct. And, you know, we just started really having the kids this week. So they haven't really brought it to my attention yet. But if it if it was brought to my attention, though, I try to keep it real objective. Because, you know, you don't want to go against the kids' parents' beliefs and then the parents are saying you're trying to sway their kid one direction or another. I just try to be objective, but also show a good the goodness of diversity. I always try to show some goodness of diversity. So, if a kid is being taught some, you know, harsh, you know, uh, values and morals, and they're saying it against in a way that it seems like it could be uh, impeding upon their peers. And I pretty much just try to come with an angle of clarity to show a unison, you know, like, hey, you like who likes who likes cake? And you see everybody hand raise up, you know, and then who likes sports? Okay, and you start seeing the common interest. So I try to always find the common interest amongst people more so. No doubt. Yeah, it's hard, you know, especially when you deal with parents who have those alternate viewpoints and even when they're wrong to tell them you're wrong is really something you just can't do is it yeah you can't you can't tell them they're wrong in in, in instances that deal with the way they're being raised at home you know cuz I'm not their parent uh I'm just I'm a perspective you know what I'm saying that's what we are as teachers we're we're a perspective we're not parents we're a perspective and we we try to keep it neutral um, so I just try to keep it neutral and give a perspective of what I think is good, you know, about about things. And like I said, diversity, because, you know, going through this world, kids and people have to understand, you're not going to really want to run across just your race. You know, you got to be able to get along with multiple facets of different race. And 
Yeah, no doubt, man. You know, you as a teacher too, like, I don't think that's something a lot of people probably know about you. You know, how did that happen? How did, how did Wordsworth become a teacher? Um, my youngest grades were falling severely, so I went up to the school to figure out why. I walked her to class, and she had a substitute teacher that told me he's a veterinarian. He doesn't really know what he's doing. So immediately, I got irate. I went to the principal as soon as I, I, I spoke to the principal. I waited there for, for a long time till the principal was available. Sat with her, and I said, what's going on? This guy upstairs has told me the veterinarian don't know what's going on. She said that the district is having problems retaining teachers that are qualified. So I was like, let me go be a substitute teacher, you know, so that way I could be my teacher, my daughter's teacher. So I went through the process of being a sub. I wound up going through all the, you know, the process of getting to the district and handing in my paperwork. And then this white lady came out and said that the district needed me because there's no black, there's not enough or there's barely or not much black male role models in a district that's highly full of um, minorities. So I felt that was like the realest question asked of me because it was a white lady asking me to help my culture and my race. And, you know, I felt that was significant. So I was like, okay, let me do this because if I don't do this, then I actually am part of the problem. And that's pretty much what led me to teach. No doubt. That's that's awesome. I mean, I know there's a lot of initiatives where, you know, where I'm from here to not only retain, but also recruit African-American teachers just because, right. you know, you look at our district. I mean, you know, it's just it's not proportional to the students that attend the schools. You know, why do you think it's so hard to um have more african american like why why don't we have more african american teachers you know what what do you, why do you think that is you know i've been trying to think about it you know i think in one aspect is um we got to get more i guess i would say promote college a little bit more you know promote college better um a lot of kids are dropping out early ages um so I think really it's the role model factor. That's why we don't. You know, if we don't have a lot of African-American male role models in class teaching or female teachers, then the kids don't see that teaching is a possibility for them. My youngest says she wants to be a teacher now, you know, and I think that's because of me, you know. Um, so you have to be we have to have more people in the classroom to project the image that to, to help perpetuate that, that to occur. Um, so I, I think the, the problem with it may be just the fact that um, we got to just start looking towards other interests besides the music and entertainment. You know, I think sometimes we, we're so leaning upon the entertainment aspect and athletics and and that doesn't really necessarily play into going into the teacher, you know, teacher aspect. You know, uh, I would say a lot of the things probably in the black culture deals with entertainment, and that's a way of getting out. So 
we don't normally look into the aspect of teaching. You look into aspects of entertainment and um, athletics, and we need to change that. Because um, I don't know, man. I've been to multiple gatherings since I've been there, and, man, I'm usually, I'll be real with you, I probably, like, sometimes I'm the only black black teacher there, be real with you, and male at that. You know, it's a lot of, usually it's a lot of white women there, and I'm, like, the only black male teacher there, you know. Maybe there's a couple of black female teachers, but real rare, maybe one or two. But, I mean, I stick out, you know. I stick out. And it's baffling to me sometimes. It's baffling to me, but, you know, I don't I don't know what's the remedy for that. I really don't know what's the remedy for that. I just think the only remedy could be people who like me taking the job to get in in front of people to to show them, you know, examples so they can become it. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, a lot of my students don't. Teaching is not something they want to do. I have some that know. I want to teach ESL. I want to teach this. Like they have their plans, but for a lot of students, teaching really isn't seen as like. And a lot of it too. What what my students tell me is there's just not enough money in in it. Like they don't want to be broke the the rest of their life is what they say. Um, and that's been a big reason. But too. yeah, there's programs though. Like you could teach for a few years, get teach a loan forgiveness, um, and if you if you if you take care of you know budgeting right and and doing certain things, man, like now they got a program out here with teachers. Um, they're trying to get teacher um, residencies at an affordable price. So if you teach, you can actually put down on a home at an affordable price for teaching in the area. Mm. So they're trying to find different ways to to get teacher reten- keep t- to um, fix teacher retention. Um, so they are trying to find ways to do it. But like I said, too, if you're like young, 20-something, 25, whatever, in a few years you save up some money, these, these homes aren't that expensive. If you really want to buy a home, you know, you can you can, you can can make it happen. Yeah. You definitely can make it happen, you know. No doubt, man. And, you know, you look at your so – so you just dropped the new album. Um, that's what got us talking today. Our World Today came out last week, last Friday. And – this album really finds you taking a much more political angle um, as a whole, like much more conceptual than um, what I've heard from you in the past. Not that you haven't done it in the past. This is just I've heard. I hear this being more, um, more of a more political takes, more of just your view um, on society, on um, on police, on 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 raising kids. Really, just a lot of a lot of great content here based on everything that's been happening you know did you feel like this this is stuff that basically just needed to be said in 2017 yeah you know i I mean a lot of the things i'm saying on there though are not only 2017 messages right i mean if you if you if you listen to i would say you listen to every song in the album would be relevant today I mean, relevant years ago, and, and it's going to be relevant in the future. You know, uh, even the election record will be maybe the most current topic because it's real current facts. But like for the most part, if you listen to every song you go through, it such as like a each one teach one that's been going on for years. 
you know, down. That's been going on for years. All these things are um, things that's been going on for years. There's nothing like in that I'm talking about album that's been going on for years. I'm just uh, highlighting other things about it, other instances and ways to tell it, you know, but those problems are, are consistent. I mean, each one to each one, just because I put the record out, it ain't going to stop uh, a father playing from Grand Theft Auto with his son. I've seen, you know, I used to work in GameStop, and when I worked there, you know, parents would buy the Grand Theft Auto with the worst stuff in the world for their kids. You know, they didn't care what the rating on the game was. They would buy whatever their kid wanted. So the parenting goes out the window, you know. Dude, I, I know I know what you mean. I've, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen I've seen um, dudes playing Grand Theft Auto with their kids and and teaching their kids how to shoot the dog and how to shoot the the police and everything. It's um, I was like, man, like like this is like a five year old like learning how to work like the the different guns on the game and how to how to run over things. It was it was crazy. It was, it was really unsettling, you know, to see a five year old learning those kind of things. Right. Right, it's it's really just um, there's no real parenting no more. So much more just being friends with your kids, you know. That's really what it is, you know. That's all it is. It's just being friends with your kids. So you know, that's one of the records on there. And then you got, um, you know, convicted. You know, that's another record on there that's that deals with just dealing with you already convicted before you're born. You know, so there's a lot of topics on there that just they resonate now more so because of the climate of the culture of, you know, the government and politics. But those messages have been here for years, you know. And it sounds too like, you know, when you look at some of these concepts that you made it so that it wouldn't just be, you know, relevant right now, but that, you know, it, it's it's still something that you can talk about and something that's still going to be relevant and happening 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that it's going to have that timeless feel to it. Is that is that something that was on your mind as you created this? Um, Not really. It wasn't on my mind, man. Uh, I mean, it's been getting well-received. It wasn't on my mind about being well-received more so than just making something that I felt was quality and, you know, a step above, hopefully, the last album beginning, or just as as great as that album, you know. But like the dope thing about working with Sam Brown is like he's so resourceful and creative. So you got a live, a lot of live instruments on the album and stuff like that. So I wasn't really thinking about how long the the messages would resonate. I was more concerned about if I make dope music, they'll resonate for as long as they should. You know, because you can make an album and be like, oh, this is going to be hot. You know, you know how, what I'm saying is like you can intend to make an album that's going to resonate forever and be dope. But then it come out and nobody hears it. So then the re- the aspect of it resonating is irrelevant. Yeah. You know, so if, you, if you're concentrating on thinking about how it's going to make people feel 20 years from now, you know, you're going to have to have a crystal ball for that. It's like you guys let that happen naturally. Yeah, that's all it is. It's all natural. 
And so when, when you look at that too, you know, you're working with Sam Brown exclusively on this project. You know, you've done a, a full album with Jay Soul in the past. You know, what's it like for you working with just one producer? You know, what does that bring out of you versus, you know, getting a beat from Odyssey here and someone else here? Um, you know, what's that process like? It's less of a headache, man. You know, when you do an album with multiple producers, man, you do an album with multiple multiple producers, you gotta you gotta you know talk to each one separately. You got some of them aren't even organized, so they can't find the session, you know. And then that's holding up the album, you know. Or you may be asking them to send the track, and then they taking too long, or you know. You wanna you want them to rhyme on something, then that takes a minute. Um, it's just and then you know if, if you're paying paying the producer, then each producer has different prices. You know when you do it with one producer, you could just go even. You know fifty fifty, and it's done. You know this is what it's gonna be. We gonna I'm gonna do the rhymes, you do the beats, and we split the the income and call it a day. You know so those are the advantages of it. And then the sound, you get one sonic sound and you and people appreciate when it's one producer and they hear different styles. They could be like, okay, you got a whole bunch of styles. When it's like, sometimes when you get an album where it's all bunch of different producers, you don't really feel it sonically in tune and in step, you know? So those are some of the disadvantages and advantages right there. No doubt. And, you know, from listening to other podcasts and just listening to, to kind of how some of the, the younger, the younger writers, the younger podcasters are doing interviews these days. What really bugs me out is some of these, some of these writers, some of these, these podcasters are, are so young that they were not around for certain things that I think we just think of as staples in hip hop history and that we just take for granted that everybody knows about, you know, when you look at that, you know, and you look at like let's go back to those lyricist lounge days right you know we know what happened there we know what was so dope but like do you ever feel the need to like retell your history and kind of school some of the younger writers the, the younger kids the younger listeners on what you did back then and or do you feel like that's in the past and and you don't feel the need to to be known for that anymore? yeah yeah i keep it moving man i don't i don't worry about the past like I think if you, as long as you keep it um, current, you do what you do current, then, you know, people will, people will find your past stuff and then, and then listen to it as well, you know? So I think that's really, really what it is. So that's how I am. I'm just like, I need to make sure I'm making as much current dope music now for people to check and then go back, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how it is. It becomes an avalanche, you know. If you buy, if you check this album out, you'd be like, "Man, I even know he dropped this. I even know he dropped this. Let me go buy this. Let me go buy that." So that's that's how it works. You know what I'm saying? So um, I can't worry about what the what the young kids are thinking because at one point I was young and I didn't really care about some of the stuff. Maybe my parents or older sister like. You see what I'm saying? So. I never get caught up in that vibe because my daughter and them, they don't care about people that I like or maybe stuff like that. I just got to make sure I'm doing stuff that hopefully catches on and it's transitions 
and it's it transition it, it, it's able to glue the the current listeners to the stuff I've been doing. No doubt. So so when you look at that, you know, do you ever think about those days in, in any kind like how do you put those days in perspective, you know? Um like what like what what stands out to you as as real as special and memorable f- from the Lyricist Lounge days through like that that mirror music era, you know, when you when you when you were you know with Half Tooth and and dropping that that big album, you know, like what, what stands out to you about about those days? Everything was a stepping stone. Like Lyricist Lounge, when I did Lyricist Lounge, it was great TV. I learned I learned a lot about TV, and glad I paid attention because now I teach TV production in school too. Um, and that was, that was about getting my name known and notoriety. But when it came down to doing mirror music, that was more about becoming an artist. So that album established me as a storyteller, you know, and a songwriter. So that's what that album was about, becoming a songwriter and a storyteller. So those are the things that I remember from what I did there. It was stepping stones to establish who I am because you know back then you, you was like a, a backpacker mm-hmm. and a backpacker they were like you know you can't make songs a backpacker you're just going to be rhyming braggadocious so I was like not me I'm not going to get stuck here I got to plan for the future so I'm going to learn to do these songs and figure out how do I do these songs so I became able um, a storyteller and you know I picked my lane early and established it early which is what has me here now and it's and you can, you know, see that I've always been like that. So, so you know, how do you look at this album as a stepping stone? You know, how does our world today, like, like, where do you want this to continue to take you, you know, as, as you progress in your career? This album, I just think it'll just attract some of the people that's been fans of mine and attract a couple of new people that may have not realized that I was still doing music. Um, and then now I just got to worry about start making the next one. It's actually the plan of it is a trilogy. So if you got new beginning, this the artwork was done by um, Mike B as well so on new beginning, and then he did this one as well. He did both artworks, and they're similar in font because the plan is to have a third project, and then it's a box set. Mm. So I'm I'm planning on getting one more producer so each album will be produced solely by one producer and then you get the box set and you get to hear three different producers all together with me alone i haven't really acknowledged who the third producer is but it's seeming the way the sam brown record is taking off people may want to hear us again go right back at it for the third one um so you know i'm trying to figure out who the third producer would be i've reached out to some people that have uh, some clout though with a name too and thought about that way too so it all depends on where it goes but that's the that's the um, idea that's what I'm trying to do that's awesome and and so when, when you look at when you look at the music you know how hard is it to actually get the music done when you look at you know you got a family. You got a you got a full time job. I mean, teaching is is not just an eight hour gig every day. You're taking stuff home. You're working on the weekends. You know, how do you manage that time to actually make sure you get stuff done and, and that you that the music doesn't 
um, have too long of a delay in between stuff. Man, I just find time. Like, if I'm driving to work in the morning, I throw the instrumental on and try to get the concept going, get a couple of lines. And then I'll be like, cool, I got the concept and a couple of lines. Now, when I, you know, then I'm driving back home. That's another half hour, get some concept, a couple of lines. And then I find my my pockets in time of like, okay, if I'm sitting here and I'm watching TV and I'm going to probably spend an hour with the headphones on and write. You know, so it's just, I just try to time manage. That's what I do a majority of time, just trying to spread it out. You know, like, you know, if I'm in class, like, because I, I got online classes that I have to do now, too, in school, that I'm in grad school. So I'm taking those classes, and they're, like, they're, like, um, their own days, um, you know, got to be on there. So, like, Saturday and Monday and certain days, so I just focus on getting that work done. So it's, it's really just picking the spots. Whatever you want to get done, man, you're going to get done. That's how I look at it. If you want to work out, you're going to wake up in the morning and do it. You know? So that's how I look at it. No doubt. And it was interesting, man. You know, you're one of the few MCs that has talked about their their other jobs that they've had. You know, most 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 MCs um, and just artists in the, in the industry in general – lead you to think that 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 all their money everything that they that they do comes from their music shows merch whatever you know um why why aren't you why aren't you perpetuating that you know what what makes you not afraid to talk about the fact that you that you do work outside of the music yeah because i've done the music so long to acquire certain things you know like a house and cars and stuff like that but i've done that early on to acquire that stuff so as time goes on and you're not as hot as you was you still make sure you got some things from when you were hot (laughs) you know what i'm saying so um i know there's going to be a downward time in which you know it's a roller coaster ride this game is roller coaster ride so you know i'm just going to make sure that um, that no matter what the ride is, I'm always going to be on the upside of the roller coaster. You see what I'm saying? So it's necessarily, you know, when it's a downtime, if you're, if you're an MC touring, you're going to tour sometimes, but once you tour, you spend that money for a couple of months and then you got to try to get it back up. It's inconsistent. So you got multiple, um, incomes and forms of income. So, um, I'm just a realist with whatever the way the way life works. So I always try to plan years ahead. So to get a to go get, go to school and get my master's in music business and things like that, I'm up here like you know down the line. When I get older, I can go talk and give some speeches. I can be a professor. I can do that because at like 60, 70, it ain't gonna be no rapping. You know what I'm saying? Maybe at 60, I don't know about 70. I don't know. But what I'm just saying in general is I don't know. So let's look, let's secure that now. You know what I mean? No doubt. And and what's so exciting, man? I mean, you talk about being a professor. Is how hip hop scholarship is actually becoming more of a thing. It's being taken more seriously. University of Virginia just hired a full time um, professor in hip hop, and that's those are the only classes he teaches. He's got a studio. He's setting up for kids. Like they're making a big thing of it. You see what Ninth Wonder's been doing at Duke and. Um, 
different schools that he was he was a, a visiting um, lecturer artist in residence over at Harvard like it's becoming taken it's been being taken more seriously in higher ed um, so what do you think about that trend and, and do you see that continuing to grow or do you see it happening only in select pockets of, of schools yeah I think it'll continue to grow because there's an interest I even want to bring that type of thing to my school like some recording for people that want to sing and stuff like that recording studio um so because that's the future technology people are doing it already you know what i mean um so you definitely want to make sure that there's access to it you know that's really what it is that's all it is you just want to make sure the kids have access to it because a lot of kids are doing these videos and stuff on their phone you know everything is becoming on the phone you know, you could record an album on the phone and everything, you know. it's So it's it's happening, so you need to be prepared for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. You know, how how should hip-hop studies happen? Like, you know, when when you look at it, you know, if, if I think about the majority of documentaries that I've seen um, on Netflix and, and some of the more popular ones that um, have been made in the past, it usually features the same... Um, folks, you know, Africa Bambata, um, you know, Cool Herc, uh, KRS, Run DMC. How do you, th- how should hip hop be taught? And like, where can hip hop scholarship go? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's so crazy. If I remember, they got like, you know, sometimes you can kind of like teach what's going on in the future. You make sure you get the kids into it. I think. As a teacher, you got to find a connection with the today stuff, too. You know, because the kids ain't going to want to learn about the old stuff if you don't know some of the new stuff. So right. I think you got to make sure if you're going to do a curriculum, it needs to be updated with anything that's new that's popping. You know, so I would address the Kodak Black and the Migos and all of that and what they're doing and their history and Drake and how they're breaking records and doing things like that. And then I would I would also go, yeah, and then that stems from this. And then I would bring the history into it. Um, but you got to make sure that you're progressing with knowing what's going on culturally all around. You don't want to beat people in the head, and especially kids. You don't want to beat kids in the head with history too much about, um, about music without something current that they can dig their teeth into as well. So you got to mesh the two and, and do it right. No doubt, yeah. It, it, because if if you if you lose if you lose that, you know, the whole thing's gonna fall apart. Right. Yeah. If you, I mean, the main thing about it is like you know when I talk to the kids at school, I said, "What do you?" I say, "Yeah, I think I was just born a grown up." Because remember, kids have no, kids have no recollection of you being a kid. They get thrown into a, a room, a classroom with you, and they don't even have no idea that you have any um, sense of experiences that reflect them. So it makes it hard for them to bond with you immediately because they just think you're an adult, an authoritative figure. They have no sense of you even going through life, you know, especially at 11, 12. Why would they think about what you did in your life? Remember, that's the age when it's kind of like blurry of trying to figure out what are, what are they supposed to do in life? So there's never a question of what an adult has been through, really, because they could care less. So you got to make sure that, you know, 
you're able to meet them halfway by acknowledging some of the things that they're into. And what what do you do, man, to make sure that you are connecting with the youth? Because obviously there's the, the age divide between being an adult and a kid. How how does Wordsworth, as a teacher, connect with students to make sure that that relationship is solid to where the kids are learning, they feel safe, they feel supported, um, they can ask questions? Um, you know, how do you do that? Um, I really, you know what it is, man? You got to make sure the classroom is, is appropriately um, addressed with things on a wall that reflect them. So, for instance, like, you know, if you if you come to my room, I got a lot of sports things going on on the wall. I got a lot of the hot movies that they're into and that they like. I got on the wall a lot of posters. And that way they can walk in feeling like they're at home and I have a sense of what they're into. And that way they instantly bond with me on a level of like, okay, this dude speaks my language to an extent. Mm. Yeah, that I feel like that's one of the most important things to get to get kind of um, established as a teacher. So you're yeah, also, yeah, you got to do that. You're also in Florida, which is you know um, very far from a lot of the stuff that happens. You know, you look at. Um, how much you know you used to do in New York, you know, showcases, um, Rocksteady, all the different events that happen in New York. What's it like being so far away, um, being in Florida, and like what's that scene been like for you, um, especially with the following that you've cultivated in the city? Yeah, um, I thought it would be difficult to be here, but like having the internet and everything, it made it way easier. It made it way easier for me to kind of still be away, but still be around and relevant. So I just made sure that I embraced the internet because then also having the capability of recording at home, that made it easy too. Like having a studio at home is what helped me out tremendously. If I didn't have the studio at home, I would probably have problems, you know, and then the internet, you can listen to everything on the internet. So whatever's hot, I get that email and text, I go listen to it. I'm like, okay, this is a new person that's hot. Let me check him out. Let me check her out. So that's what I did, man. I really just stayed engulfed in the music. No doubt. Do you ever feel like you're missing anything? Do you ever feel like, you know, you see something on Instagram or you, you talk to another artist, you're like, man, I wish I was there. Um... Not really, man, you know, you know, um, I really, I really just be like, sometimes I do wish I was able to tour more, but I kind of think like where I'm at in my career, me teaching the kids, it'll be more beneficial than me on tour, Mm. you know? Yeah. I think that's where I'm at in my career, you know? You know, so I think I'm, I'm my value of teaching is is at this point and stage in my career. This is kind of I, I may get a little I guess spiritual, but I think this is where God wants me to be at now. Like when I got asked that question, that was the the fork in the road. Hey, the black guys, the black kids, the black people need you here. You know, the black people, the black community need you to teach them. 
Um, and that was it for me. Like, what am I going to do? Am I just going to be a bailout on the young kids that need me? Or am I going to accept the challenge? So I think, you know, I felt like God put me in that situation because he knew I was prepared mm. after all after all these years, you know. That's awesome. So so at this point, it sounds like you feel almost like, like, like let me know if I'm hearing you right, but that teaching is, is more of a calling and a passion for you at this point in your life than emceeing is. Yeah, yeah. Not I wouldn't I wouldn't I would say I just have to you have to foresee where 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 all of this is taking me. That's how I think about it. I think about like all this music and things I've learned about music, where did it take me to? You know, where am I at now? You know, I think you gotta identify what was the purpose of learning that stuff. And I think I've been able to kind of identify my purpose of learning it, you know, was to learn it and then teach others. You know, this is my theory. My theory is sometimes you don't win the championship playing the game. So sometimes you win the championship as a coach. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So even though I've done a lot of stuff, I've never, like, gone – platinum or nothing like that i went gold on the chocolate quest album you know i went gold on that i actually have the plaque for that to prove that so that's, that's awesome. dope yeah so that's dope but like overall like my own solo stuff and group stuff is done mod- modestly well but it's not platinum or gold so i figure you know what though i could take all that knowledge and probably help another artist go that route yeah. Or teach and do other other things and inspire that way, kind of Doc Rivers with it, you know. If I could be like kind of Doc Rivers with it, like so, I'm I'm at that expectation of it, you know. Not everybody's gonna win the chip, but you can win the chip in other ways. Right. That's awesome. And speaking of the group thing, man, you know what's been going on with EMC, man. Um, right now, everybody's just kind of doing the same thing, man. Just like putting out multiple projects. I think also like me teaching kind of, kind of, you know, I got like a weird schedule with teaching. So it ain't like, I can just be like, oh, let's go tour. Cause usually touring is around teaching time, mm. you know? So it would have to be like a tour during summertime. And we would have to work on getting something like that. But sometimes the tour sometimes, would have to be usually the big got to get on the big uh concerts because you can't tour like a, a college campus nobody's in college you can't you know what i'm saying yeah. so you got to make sure you got to make sure if you're touring in these cities people are in these cities because usually if you go to certain places in the city that town may be empty because it's summer so they all went vacation somewhere so you got to make sure it's set up properly and um you know, so right now everybody's doing their own thing, and then like Ace is working on the album with Marco Polo, you know, and everybody's just working on their own thing for now. And then eventually, I think we'll all come back together. You know, it'll be worked out to get to get done properly, and dates will happen. It'll happen. No doubt, and you know, I remember um, never really seeing too much on this man, but I do remember seeing the Facebook post from Punch just saying, "I'm no longer in EMC." And then there wasn't really anything else 
about it. You know, what exactly happened there? Because that definitely caught me by surprise. And, you know, are you in Punch Cool today? Nah, me and don't talk at all. You know, we don't talk at all. It's just really, man, you know, the the way the, the way I look at it with this career is just there's going to be a level of seriousness people take it. And that's how you know how far you're going to go in whatever you do. It's all about how serious you take it. And that's going to reflect in your in your output of work and in what you do. And that's pretty much it. I can just say that, and then you can look at the career of of where we are and who we are and where we've been, and you can see how serious I've taken it and how serious you can say he's taken it. And if you, if you do the comparison, that pretty much lets you know why it's difficult to sometimes be in a group with somebody, you know, because there's different levels of, you know, when you when you go on like three hundred percent and somebody's going one hundred percent, you're like, you know, at some point you're gonna be like worn out. Right. So you so so, so it, it was more of a um more of a business move. Um and you guys you guys just didn't really stay friends after that. You guys just went your separate ways. Yeah, because I realized like Sometimes it's better to go on a business level. It's better. Sometimes, sometimes a person can do stuff as on a business level, and as your friend, it'll just ruin the friendship. You know, so it's just better that sometimes you just be like, you know what? It's better we just go separate ways because obviously you don't take life as serious as I take it. Mm. You know. So that's really how it is. How do you see his absence affecting EMC too? Because you and him always had such a natural chemistry together. But that's one of the great things about EMC is the natural chemistry of everyone. You know, it's like, you know, it just sounds like a cohesive group. Everybody um, really is able to build off each other, yet, you know, has different styles. You know, Ace brings something different than Strick. Um, than you and, and, and it used to be Punch how, how does his absence affect EMC um, it really doesn't affect this I'm gonna be honest man. <laughs> I'll just really be honest it doesn't it doesn't affect us to be honest man we, we toured after that and put out the album and we, we're all still we talk every day all, all three of us, we talk every day. You know what I'm saying? We got a WhatsApp chat. We talk every day, man. So it really hasn't affected us. You know, it's, it just hasn't. It just hasn't. Because you got to think, like, when you think about it, you know, Ace has put out solo albums all his own. I put out solo albums on my own. So it's never going to be a creative latch there. Right. You know, it's because we we do it on our own. So and then Strick, you know, he he had a he had a deal years ago. He's put records out on his own solo stuff, like singles here and there. So that's another creative mind. So there's not gonna be a lapse there that's gonna that can't be made up in my in my eyes. You know, like 
we all, all us three alone can rhyme. You know, we can rhyme. So that's about it. Yeah, no, that's never been just that's never been debated, man. Um, so looking at that and looking at your rhyming and and, and your pr- your writing process, you know, can you break down how a Wordsworth rhyme and how a Wordsworth verse really comes together? Yeah, it's really I gotta hear the beat, and once I hear the beat, I'm thinking of what movie, what movie could it paint? That's how I think. I gotta hear a beat, connect the mood to a scene in in the world. So once I if I hear the beat and it sounds like uh, misery, then I got to think of what about somebody in misery? If it sounds like reminiscing, what am I going to reminisce about? So it's really just trying to, I just pretty much, I'm scoring my, I'm scoring my thoughts, you know, but kind of the opposite way, you know, with a score, you're like scoring a movie, you got the movie scene and then you put music to it. I'm doing it the opposite way. I'm hearing the, the music and then I'm putting the lyrics to it. So I'm scoring I'm pretty much just scoring the album, but from a literary standpoint. That's awesome. So, so when you write, you know, do you feel like you're you're going back and doing a lot of revision, or do you feel like what you get that first time is what's going to really, really stick and stay? Yeah, it's always revision. It's a lot of lines and rhymes that people never hear or saw because they're written on the page, you know, they're on that page, like the bottom of my page when I'm typing them, at the bottom there's a whole bunch of things that are rhyming, but they don't make sense, or they're not as strong to get the point across. I was listening to each one, teach one, and today, and I was like, oh, I could have said, it's like, uh, when I go, father, father always sleep, hard work had never been one. Son don't work, just wait until his friends come. I was like, I could have said, I'm driving today listening to it, thinking of rhymes. I'm like, I could have said, father never bring home no income. You know, hard work had never been one. You know, son son just waiting until his friends come. I could have said something about income, hard work had never been one. And it would have rhymed, you know what I'm saying? But like, you know, I didn't say it. So it's cool. It still works, but you know, my mind is always thinking of how to add a rhyme to make it relevant. You know, so you rack your brain with rhymes of relevancy all day. Anytime, I'm guessing sometimes you're teaching and you got something, I got to write that down before I forget it. Does that ever happen? Nah, nah. I, I'm too, I, I, can, I can compartmentalize, man. Okay. So like once I, yeah, once I'm in school, I don't even visit me being able to rap like that really for the kids. I don't even get into it, to be honest with you. I'm more so just strict, strictly focused on teaching them because I don't want it to seem like a gimmick that I'm teaching the kids like that because sometimes you, you'll get that as well. Like, I've gotten that too. You you get some, you know, you know a teacher be like, yo, it'll be cool if you rap about the you know the, the the school lunch you know he'd be like what you know like you can, you start getting some wild corny requests man so i just keep it two several worlds man because i don't want those corny requests because i can rap you know and then in the classroom in the classroom i'm i want to first learn the way that that i can do it now the way i can and, and try to get the kids scores up there because 
I don't want it to be like, you know, I'm trying to rap and teach the kids and then their grades aren't well. Then that becomes like a reason why their grades aren't well because I'm so invested in showing off my rapping skills as opposed to being concerned with their learning. So I keep it two separate things. Like, okay, I'm going I'm to do it the way that you guys want me to do it right now so I can get the kids where they need to be. I don't have the clout to really try to venture off into that yet, you know? So I'm just really trying to do it their way first. Yeah, and I know what you mean, man. You kind of have to keep that, that separate identity. I've always done that with, with my writing, too. It's like, you know, what I, what I do with books, you know, I'll talk to, you know, certain classes about it, you know, but it's not like, hey, I interviewed so-and-so, so you should listen to me. Um, it's kind of like... Right. You know, you you have to almost have that separate identity um, or else, you you know, you'll be known as that guy, you know, um, and and, you know, hey, hey, can you rap for me? Can you rap for me? And, you know, right. Like, right. You don't want to be that guy, you know, <laughs> like, oh, you know, that, yeah. Can you get this person for me? Can you get this? And then you start becoming that. And then it's like, you know. You know, you don't want to become a distraction towards the, you know, the administration to see you as a distraction if you get too popular with it. So it's like you always want to stay below the radar because, you know, at the end of the day, what matters is are these grades, these testing scores and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so, so as far as your writing goes, man, you know, you talk about your revision. You know, do you have a place or a time of day, man, where you feel like, it's just the most ideal time for your rhymes to come together and for you to really be able to focus? Um, usually, man, I would say probably kind of like at nighttime, like maybe 10 at night, 11 at night, nobody's around. But it's really, or, or early morning, you know, sometimes I get up super early in the morning and writing too. But to be honest, I've just been trained to write whenever I need to write and when I can because, like, when I was working on TV, there was no, um, no, you know, let me get the vibe right and I'll write this. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. there's no vibe. There's no vibe, you know. You can't do that. It's more of a job, so I made sure I have the job instilled in me as opposed to the vibe of when I can write for the most part. You know, it's more of a job aspect. And I kind of think I have that discipline from school. Like, you know, in school... The paper is due tomorrow. There's no excuse. So I, I don't live with no writer's block or nothing like that as an excuse because when you're, when you're you know, pressed with a deadline and a million dollars are on the line, I'm sure everybody will write an album with a million dollars by tomorrow. Right. Yeah, so, you know, it's all about sitting there and putting in the time to make it happen. That's all it is. No doubt. And... So words, man. The album "Our World Today" is out now. Um, you have been a great interview, man. I really appreciate your time and insights, man. It's, it's great to talk teaching too with somebody who, um, you know, is is passionate about it and and does it does it for real. Isn't just someone who, you know, teaches kids, you know, quote unquote, you know, by doing, you know, um, an hour a year or something like that, man. So it was great to catch up with you, man. I really appreciate your time on this. Yeah, I appreciate it too, man. Everybody go check out, you know, my Instagram, Wordsworth, B-K-L-Y-N, and my Twitter, Wordsworth underscore EMC, Facebook, all of that stuff, you know.
Uh, I appreciate the time, man. Cop the album. Our World Today is out right now. Everywhere. <laughs>